well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I am so glad you're with us on the program today, and I am super thrilled that our guest is Paul Valone, head of Grassroots NC. We are going to be talking about a major major win for uh, gun owners this week in North Carolina as the uh, North Carolina State Legislature overrode Governor Roy Cooper's veto of SB 41. This is the bill that uh, primarily, but not exclusively, uh, repeals the state's pistol purchase permit law, which has been in place since 1919. Yeah. And uh, Democrats, gun control activists, boy, they fought hard to keep this in place. But uh, on Wednesday, the North Carolina House did override Governor Roy Cooper's veto. The Senate had already done that on uh, Tuesday. And that means that uh, the pistol purchase permit law in North Carolina is now, thankfully, a thing of the past. Let's uh, get right to it with Paul Valone, head of Grassroots NC, talking about how Second Amendment advocates uh, managed to get this law off of the books this year. Take a look and a listen. Paul, thanks so much for coming on the program. Uh, and first of all, congratulations on a very, very big win, an historic win for gun owners in North Carolina. Yeah, thank you very much, sir. Yes, it has been a historic win. That's uh, that's exactly right. So, you know, we've talked uh, over the course of this session about SB 41. Um, you know, the last time you were on the program, you had talked about the red wave in North Carolina. Republicans had the supermajority in the Senate. They were one vote shy in the state house. Um, and that really was sort of where the drama happened, right? So we had these three Democrats who had voted for SB 41 originally. One of these representatives had gone on the record as stating, I'm not going to switch my vote during any veto override session. That was Representative Shelley Willingham. So, you and I felt pretty good, right, that if uh, Representative Willingham stuck by his word that we were going to get this veto override done. Representative Willingham did not stick by his word, from what I understand. Uh, that's correct. Um, yeah, he lied. <laughs> Democrats lying. Who can imagine such a thing? <laughs> so, so, so how? OK, so he voted. He changed his vote, uh, voted against SB 41 in the veto override session. So how did SB 41 pass out of the House? Well, the good news is the override requires a six-tenths majority of those legislators present, and three of the Democrats were not present. All of the, all 71 of the North Carolina House Republicans voted for the bill, but um, Michael Ray, who's sort of been all over the all over the map on this thing, he's voted for it before he voted against it, <laughs> kind of like John McCain. Um, he disappeared. He was nowhere to be found, supposedly. Well, I, I don't believe we've heard an excuse from him. Uh, and the other two Democrats claimed medical procedures. Um, I'm guessing that this might have been coordinated with the Speaker, the Republican Speaker of the House, uh, who probably said, well, listen, we're going to park this thing in the veto garage and we'll just keep putting it on the calendar until one of you doesn't show up. So do you want to get it over with? <laughs> well, what, 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 whatever agreement uh, was made, I'm glad that the end result uh, was this successful override. And mm -hmm. this takes place immediately, right? The, the, the pistol permit purchase system is no more in North Carolina as of today. Well, basically, we had three parts to the bill. Okay. One, of course, repealed the Jim Crow era pistol purchase permit system. That becomes effective immediately. Matter of fact, We've had sheriffs across the state who've been announcing that the permits are no longer valid. 
effective immediately. And they're also saying they're not going to refund the five bucks you have you pay to get one. So <laughs> minor <laughs> minor annoyance, I guess. Yeah. Um, the second part of the bill uh, deals with the church carry provisions, closing what we call the church carry loophole, because as it stands right now in North Carolina, if a church sponsors a school, it's illegal to carry firearms there. And by the way, that is exactly the situation at the Covenant School in Nashville the other day. Um, these are exactly the types of institutions that bill seeks to protect. Um, that becomes effective on December 1st of 2023. Okay. Um, and then the, the third provision is an education, safe, safe storage education awareness initiative. And to be perfectly honest, I'm not sure when that becomes effective because, frankly, it doesn't do much. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a public awareness campaign, and I hope folks, uh, you know, become aware. But uh, mm -hmm. we'll see. As for the, the church care, I want to make sure that I understand – so under North Carolina law before SB 41, if you had a standalone church uh, or, or, you know, some other religious institution, the the religious leader there, or the governors of that body could say, we want to allow concealed carry. But if there was a school attached, they were they were not able to do so. It was just completely verboten. No matter what they wanted, concealed carry was not allowed if there was a school on the premise. That's that's correct. As a matter of fact, um, what happened was if they sponsored a school, a K through 12 or preschool or whatever, um, under the statutes that became educational property and carrying a firearm in educational property is a class H, I believe, felony. Um, so it wasn't a matter of discretion. And as a matter of fact, even if the church and the school were in separate buildings on the same campus, um, we've had an attorney general threaten to prosecute people for that. Um, so this has been a big deal. Um, the thing that drives me insane is that um, the left continues to scream about this. But all we're really doing is offering these churches exactly the same protection that the other churches in the state have had since 1995. It's not new ground. Yeah. And these churches, if they don't want to allow for concealed carry, they can post the premises as no carry allowed, right? They, as private property owners, that choice is still up to them. That That is a correct statement, yes. As a matter of fact, under North Carolina statutes, uh, carrying onto a posted property is an infraction with a $500 fine. Used to be a misdemeanor, but we got that we got that reduced a number of years back. I thought Democrats were pro-choice, Paul. So it seems odd that they would be against <laughs> allowing, you know, the these property uh, owners uh, and the folks, you know, in charge of these uh, churches and synagogues and mosques and gurdwaras to make that choice for themselves as to how they want to protect their flock. I think we both agree that the left is pro-choice only when it wants to be. And for example, it's not, you can't choose to say what you want to the left. Unfortunately, they're busy censoring us at every opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, despite their attempts to uh, silence gun owners in North Carolina, uh, your voices were loud they were clear. Can you talk about the activism that you saw on the part of grassroots NC members and other gun owners in North Carolina during this fight? This has been very gratifying. Um, what we have seen, basically, we've been fighting Governor Roy Cooper for 25 years. When he was the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, he used to kill our, our uh, attempts to expand our concealed carry law. When he was attorney general, he added additional people to the uh, class of prohibited people uh, as mental defectives under 18 U.S. Code. And as governor, he's vetoed three of our bills before this one. So overriding his veto has become a very sat satisfying exercise. 
It's taken 25 years, but payback's a bear. Um, <laughs> but um, what changed really is that over those 25 years, uh, we became more organized. And this little ragtag bunch of activists uh, eventually became very good at winning elections, frankly. And, you know, I say elections have consequences. Yeah, we won the 2022 elections, as you and I have discussed previously, and we were able to install this supermajority. Uh, one seat shy of a supermajority in the House, but effectively a supermajority. And so consequently, um, we saw we saw this year as we saw thousands of emails and phone calls going into these legislators. We saw um, grassroots volunteers canvassing the General Assembly. Uh, my legislative action team has been very, very busy. We packed committee rooms when these when bills came up. And there were actually about three, I think, three different, uh, actually, no, five different gun bills that have that have passed uh, through various you know committee hearings and whatnot. And so um, we've been able to dominate the legislative scene to the point where the legislators in a committee room, when they see us walk in, they're like, oh, they're here. <laughs> you got to love that. As, as the late Severett Everett Dirksen put it, when they feel the heat, they see the light. Absolutely. Um, you know, and uh, Milton Friedman uh, talked about, you know, the, the art of politics is not getting the right people to do the to do the right thing. It's about getting the wrong people to do the right thing. And again, you know, we needed in North Carolina um, some Democrats who have been hostile to the uh, right to keep their arms to uh, see the light or at least feel the heat. And it sounds like that was the case. So. You know, you talk about some of the other bills that are out there in committee. Uh, what, what, what? Do you have anything else on your legislative agenda for this year, Paul? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Our next matter of fact, um, when I put out a statement um, on the uh, victory yesterday, um, in the statement I included a request, shall we say, pointed request to the Republican leadership, uh, thanking them for what they have done so far. And saying that now we need to join 25 other states in getting constitutional carry. Uh, that bill has been introduced as uh, House Bill 189 by Representative Keith Kidwell. And um, we have until early May for the crossover deadline to get that thing through at least one chamber in order to keep it alive for the second year of the two-year session. So we will be pushing for constitutional carry um, forthwith. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. What's that bill number again? 189. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Paul, I, you know, and I had that question yesterday. Somebody asked me during our uh, VIP gold chat with Hot Air Zed Morrissey. Uh, okay, so now that we got pistol purchase permit repealed, what, what what's going on with constitutional carry? Do you think Republican lawmakers are are ready for that fight this year? I think they're going to have to be. Um, I won't say pressured because they just they did us a solid with yeah. what they've done so far. I, you know, to be perfectly honest. Um, I have never seen a legislative project managed that well uh, from, um, you know, from the Republican perspective. Uh, but by the same token, we'll be keeping the pressure on for the constitutional carry. So, you know, I'm I'm optimistic we can at least get get it through a committee hearing and maybe through one chamber. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Well, again, <laughs> we, you know, those, those uh, you know, that's the thing about activism, right? You 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 get your success, you get your victory, you spend a couple of minutes cheering mm-hmm. and then yep. you get right back to work. Right. Because there's always something something else to do with. There's, there's more work to be done. Yeah. What is it? The price of liberty is eternal vigilance. I guess that's fairly accurate. That's right. Well, listen, we certainly appreciate uh, your vigilance uh, as well as the vigilance of North Carolina gun owners and Second Amendment activists who 
again, we're able to take this 104-year-old law uh, off of the books, uh, <laughs> restoring more freedom and, uh, uh, you know, strengthening the civil rights of a North Carolinian. So, Paul, again, congratulations on the veto override for SB 41. And I look forward to having you back on the program here very soon, sir. Thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. And uh, anybody who wants to get involved, just grnc.org. There you go. Paul Vallone with Grassroots NC. Thank you, sir. I appreciate Paul joining me on the program today. And again, congratulations to all of the North Carolina gun owners who called uh, their lawmakers, who showed up for these committee hearings, who spoke out, who engaged, who did not give up. I am so gratified that uh, your hard work, again, rewarded and recognized by uh, lawmakers and a very bad law is now off of the books. Let's turn our attention now to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day and our recidivist report. We'll start there. The story out of Salon, Ohio, uh, Iowa, excuse me, um, where a suspect in a shooting, as it turns out, 19 years of age, uh, violated his probation more than 50 times between August of 2021 and March of this year without consequence. Bryant Wallace placed on probation for five years back in 2020. After he pled guilty to lesser charges, after prosecutors said he engaged in a sexual act with a 13-year-old girl. Yeah. The uh, Johnson County Sheriff's Office says Wallace uh, was arrested most recently after he and another teenager drove by an RV and fired five shots at a camper. Thankfully, nobody was injured, but there was somebody inside that uh, RV at the time. Um, according to uh, Cedar Rapids uh, TV station KCRG, uh, Drew Konachek, who is the uh, division manager within the Department of Correctional Services for the uh, agency or for the part of the state where um, Bryant Wallace lives and is supposed to report to his probation officer, said in an email that there is no number of violations that will result in a recommendation to revoke a client's probation. A client's probation that night. However, he said the agency considers both the volume and the severity of the violations along with the circumstances of the violations uh, in order to protect the individual, the client, the individual on parole, as well as the community. Konachek said that there was evidence to suggest that Mr. Wallace had protective factors in place. And our goal is to work with clients to build off those areas of stability. Revoking a teenager to prison is guaranteed to diminish, if not completely eliminate, those protective factors. He also said that Wallace was actually punished for violations of his parole by court intervention and incarceration to, quote, interrupt a pattern of violating behavior. Um, according to local news accounts, most of Wallace's violations happened between August of 2021 and July of 2022, mostly related to issues around his location, missing sexual abuse treatment programs, and allowing the battery on his GPS ankle monitor to die. Now, the DOC might consider those to be minor violations, but if you've got somebody who is accused of sexually assaulting a 13-year-old girl who's not showing up for his sexual abuse treatment programs, I'd say that's a pretty major violation of his probation, wouldn't you? If somebody is supposed to be monitored using a GPS ankle monitor, and we've talked again about, the, I think, the, the uh, inefficiency uh, and really the the fundamental flaws in GPS monitoring. But again, that was part of the court order. And if he's allowing that battery to die, again, I think it's stupid to allow or to require the clients 
uh, on probation to swap out the batteries themselves. But whatever, that was still his responsibility. And apparently he failed to do so, which means that although authorities were supposed to be able to know where he was, they were not able to know where he was. Again, I don't consider that to be a minor problem, especially when it happens time and time and time and time and time again. Uh, again, media accounts say a uh, uh, Wallace was arrested in July of 2022. So again, almost a year after these probation violations started for not following the terms of his probation, but then he was immediately released on bond. So again, where are the consequences? Two months later, Wallace is charged with robbery, theft, an assault. Prosecutor said Wallace, along with another man, assaulted a man that took a shoes, cell phone, a, a vape pen, as well as two ounces of marijuana. Yeah. So he's charged in, let's see, that was July, two months later, August, so he's September of 2022. He's now charged with another crime. Still, his probation is not revoked. And then Wallace was arrested again, only after his GPS monitor placement at the location of a shots fired call in November of 2022. That's when he spent 90 days in jail starting in November, for violating his probation. 90 days. Why, again, I'm really struggling to figure out here why his probation was simply not revoked, why the original terms of his sentence were not imposed after not one, but two arrests for violent crimes while he's out of probation. Again, this, uh, there were so many opportunities. So many opportunities to ensure that there were consequences for Mr. Wallace for any of his uh, violations of the law, going back to the sexual assault. And time and time and time again, the criminal justice system, including the probation system, made excuses for Brian Wallace. And now the teenager is once again facing serious charges. I don't see any reason to believe that the system is going to treat him any more uh, seriously this time around, unfortunately. So we'll keep our eyes on uh, Brian Wallace and hopefully give you an update. Love it to be good news, but I'm not holding my breath at some point in the future. All right, let's turn our attention now to today's armed citizen story, Grayson County, Virginia. Now, this defensive gun use actually happened last December, but prosecutors are just now saying that the homeowner will not face charges. It took some time, apparently, for this investigation to conclude, even though, uh, based on the evidence, it appears this was a pretty clear-cut case of self-defense. This was back on December 6th, when an intruder was shot by a homeowner in uh, Grayson County. When officers uh, got to the scene, they found the homeowner, who said he'd been woken up by the intruder, um, who was apparently damaging his yard with a vehicle. and then. He got out of his vehicle, broke a bedroom window, and started to crawl inside. Um, the homeowner apparently armed himself with a handgun and used it to fight off the intruder after he was physically assaulted inside of his own home. So, again, you've got an intruder breaking in to somebody's home in the middle of the night, uh, starts fighting with the homeowner. Again, I'm not sure why it took almost, uh, this was, what did I say, December the 6th? So why it took more than three months for the Commonwealth's attorney to say, yeah, this was a justifiable homicide. But that did happen this week, thankfully. Officials say that uh, more evidence and an autopsy revealed that uh, alcohol intoxication was a factor in the behavior of the intruder. Uh, once the investigation was complete, Commonwealth attorney determined that the homeowner acted in a justified manner and, again, will not be facing charges. 
Finally today, our good deed of the day, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. A a good Samaritan in Knoxville, Tennessee, who was able to save a woman's life when he spotted smoke coming from her home this week. Uh, According to the Knoxville Fire Department, they got a call about a possible house fire about 7.15 in the morning uh, yesterday on Wednesday. Caller said he was uh, driving by, saw smoke coming from the back of the house. Now, he could have just called 911 and driven on his way, but he didn't. He pulled over, got out of his car, went up to the house, knocked on the door, alerted the woman inside, hey, your house is on fire, and she was able to get out of the home with her dog. Okay, so now the homeowner has already made sure that, you know, every living thing inside that home is is okay. Then he could have gotten to his car and driven off, right? Nope, not what he did. He apparently grabbed a water hose and started fighting the fire himself while he was waiting for uh, fire crews to arrive. According to the uh, Knoxville Fire Department, he actually was able to prevent further damage to the home, thankfully. Um, the home apparently did not have a working smoke alarm. So, uh, yeah, this is a reminder to make sure that you've got one that's working in your house. I know that it can be annoying. We had to actually move the location of ours because uh, it was too close to the kitchen and every time would start to grill something. Yeah, bad, bad news. But we do have a working fire alarm and a working smoke detector. And these things are very important. We can't always count on a, a good Samaritan being in the right place at the right time and willing and able to do the right thing to uh, to save a stranger's life. So, yeah, make sure that uh, your smoke detector is up to date. But to that anonymous good Samaritan in Knoxville, Tennessee, wish I knew this individual's name, uh, but we thank him very much for his incredibly good deed. That is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company, and I want to thank you as always for being a part of the program. I really do appreciate you being here. I am so grateful for your support, and I'm looking forward to talking with you again on Monday for another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. Next week's going to be a little weird. I'm taking a few days off, but uh, we'll have a live show, or not a live show, but we'll have a show on Monday and Friday. Uh, of next week. So you will get a couple of uh, Bearing Arms Cam and Companies. But of course, make sure you're checking out BearingArms.com throughout the day. There's so much going on. We've got uh, permitless carry likely to be uh, approved uh, in Florida. Final legislative vote. Looks like it's going to happen at some point this afternoon. So we'll get, uh, we'll get you covered uh, regarding that. Plus, we're looking at permitless carry in Nebraska. Uh, as well as, unfortunately, some bad bills in states like Colorado and uh, Michigan as well. But again, we're going to keep you up to date on all of those issues at BarryAndArms.com. And if you like what you see, I'd encourage you to become a VIP member as well. Just go to BarryAndArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As I was saying, thanks for showing your support. We're going to give you exclusive content, new stories and analysis you won't find anywhere else. Because, again, your support does matter and really does make a difference. So thank you. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. We'll see you back here on Monday. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.